like I go with uh, what Brother uh, Roy was saying. Uh, my message is titled, God Will Send Rain. Amen. God Will Send Rain. Uh, we used to sing one song way back then. Uh, I guess in the 80s, it goes, It's beginning to rain. How many of you remember that song? It's beginning. Oh, yeah, you know, she can sing it. It's beginning to rain. Amen? It's beginning to rain. And I'm going to be sharing from uh, the life of uh, Elijah tonight and uh, give us some principles from the Word of God to begin to receive rain from God. Because God is going to bring rain upon our church and the people of our church. It's going to be by miracle, not by your abilities. That's why we're talking about financial blessings. I don't know how people believe that they can live a life for God without having the means to do work for God. God is very clear in, you know, in His Word. He wants us to give to the poor. You are not the poor. <laughs> you give to the poor. <laughs> Amen? And so God's going to do that for us. You know, for about three years, the children of Israel and the whole world, I've discovered, they had no rain. God shut out the heavens because of a man's word. And that was happening because of the people of God. The whole earth had no rain because the children of Israel were backsliding. They had gone back from the principles they knew. And they were not serving God the way God wanted, him, uh, wanted them to serve Him. And so the king was the head of it and his wife, Jezebel. They were leading the children of Israel away from God. And some of them had doubts. Some of them were trying to do what was right. But it was a, it was a difficult time because this woman had reigns over what was happening in the kingdom. And so God sent his prophet Elijah and said, no rain. And for three years, they had no rain. Nothing changed. The king didn't change his ways. Everything stayed the same. But we have a merciful God. God who cares about his people. And the Bible says, even if they're just ten people, God will not destroy Sodom. And there were more than ten in the land at that point. And so God, after three years... He sent his servant, and you can read in 1 Kings 18, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. In the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So that means the whole earth had no rain. Now, for three years... Israel had no rain. Maybe it's been a long time since you've had rain in your life. Maybe what you need today is a financial rain. God is saying in His Word, Go present yourself. I will send rain. God will send you, in the name of Jesus, the financial rain that you need in your life. He will give you the former and the present rain for your life. And you, the rain will overtake your life and, and just consume you. 
God will bring that rain into your life. Maybe what you need is not a financial rain. Maybe you need another kind of rain in your life. Maybe it has to do with relationship. Maybe in a given area you need God to bring rain in that part of your life. You need that. Or maybe it's a spiritual rain, which is the number one rain. It's been a long time that you've really felt God. Sometimes you wonder if He's there. The things happening in your life, you pray, it seems like God is not answering. You need rain. You want to be used of God. God says He will send rain. And I believe God is sending the rain to the Ark Fellowship in Jesus' name. Now, the thing to do, if you really need rain in whatever area of your life, the thing to do is confront the problem. Confront the problem. Pray to God. Ask God, what is going on? If there's nothing going on, possibly you will hear nothing from God. Possibly all that happens is you you get it in your spirit. You need to wait. Because God has his own time. But you need to confront the problem. You need to go to God with the problem. That's what God told Elijah. Elijah, I want you to present yourself to Ahab. Confront the problem. Ahab was the problem. Amen? Confront the problem. Go to Ahab and reveal yourself to him. I'm going to send rain, but only after you confront the problem. So he went to be with Ahab. In First Kings chapter 18, verse 17 and 18, he said, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the bills. It's so easy to put the blame on somebody else. And that's what Christians are doing. He was the problem. He wouldn't deal with the problem. He's blaming the prophet of God. It's the pastor's fault. He is not anointed. If it is, something will be happening. You blame everybody else except yourself. You need to confront the problem and admit there's something wrong. Ask God for what's going on, and God will reveal himself to you and show you what the problem is. He said, you and your father's house, you are the problem. That's why there's, no, there's not been rain in the kingdom just because of your activities. You know what I see with Christians? They don't see their own faults. They are always looking at other people's faults. If you are having financial difficulty, find out what you've done wrong. Is everything right? Because those little things can mean so much to God. It's usually not the huge things. It's those little things that you're doing in business or at work or whatever it is, that's the problem. Many times Christians want to say, it's the devil. I'm doing this because the devil is the one that's causing me to behave this way. Change your mind. and It has nothing to do with the devil. You, you are not just, it's not being demonized that's causing you to be angry and to lash out at your wife or your husband 
and cause so much anger and rancor in the home. That's not the devil doing it. You're doing it. Change your mind and something will change. The devil will leave you. You have the power. Confront the problem. You can't say, well, I'm a Puerto Rican and we got chili in our veins, so I'm always angry. No, you're wrong. Deal with the problem. Confront the problem. Admit something is wrong and change. It's a decision you got to make. You know, I was sharing with one of my sons because we're always talking about, you know, I've done a lot of uh, casting out of demons, helping people to get. But I found that you are, you need to make up your mind. You're going to stop this stuff. I know none of you do this, but when I'm driving in those days, you better not cut me off. <laughs> I get very angry. And my rationale is he's trying to kill me. You know, he gets in front of me and he stops and he's going to kill me. What's wrong with you, fellow? And I'm angry. I mean, you guys are saints. You don't do that, okay? <laughs> I'll be driving in your car with you and see what you do <laughs> and how you react, you know. But I made up my mind is silly. I just don't have to do that. Amen? It's silly. I don't have to cast out the devil. And it wasn't my wife making me to do that. <laughs> I had to just decide I'm not gonna do that. And as revealed, I, I came from a, a culture after I got saved. Where I was seriously demonized. I mean, I don't hide it. There was no help for me. Because when I was growing up, we went to a lot of voodoo doctors. I ate animal sacrifice uh, to Aro. I didn't like the worship part, but I liked the food part, you know. I didn't like praying to this Aro with crooked nose, you know. But, but, but I liked the food part. I enjoyed the food part. And when we pray to the idol, I mean, that thing is sitting down there. I know it never happens in America, but I did that. He's sitting there. The, the, the arm that they, the, the hand that they, you know, uh, carved is crooked. And I'm thinking, he don't look like God. He's ugly. <laughs> and he don't speak. How can you talk to something that doesn't speak? But the adults are doing it. And then you wonder what's going on here. They're talking, they, they, who is dumb? I mean, this, the arrow or these people. But that's what we did. But after the arrow worship, I enjoyed the meat, the goat meat, the, whatever they were doing. The dogs, that was celebration time. But as I grew up, those things took over. And then and, and I had this voodoo doctor saying, our people came to see you in school. You were sleeping. And I'm saying, you in this town, and I'm maybe 300 miles away. She said, yeah, I'm our people. I didn't realize it was demons. So after I got saved, and God allowed me for a period of time, for freedom and joy and all of that, God knew I had to deal, the pro- deal with the problem. He pulled everything back, and I started feeling the effects of those things. I'm not going to go into details of those things. But those days, I was very careful about what I did. I didn't do anything. I made sure I didn't do anything wrong. I was very, there was no sin in my life much. I mean, I, you know, there was sin back and forth. But living the Christian life, I was extremely careful. Because I felt like if God lives, I'm finished. These things will kill me. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
The demons didn't make me do anything. I stopped everything that I was doing right after I got saved because I knew those things were there. And I, I even when I came to the United States, I was still very careful. I did a lot of witnessing, even though I was being oppressed and I knew I had problems. Don't make excuses for what's going on in your life. If you're sinning, that's just your choice. You can change your mind. You can change your mind. Confront the problem. Change your mind about it, and God will be with you. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? Yeah, you can change. God, God gave us the power to change. And if you don't change, it's because you don't want to, at least not yet. But that's just the truth about it. God takes you through something so that you can learn a lesson. You learn this is what's really going on here. But so you confront the problem. Don't blame people. Don't blame the devil. Don't blame anybody. It's what's going on. And you can change any day you want. Call on God from your heart. He'll help you. It may be difficult, but he'll take you out of it. That's the God that we serve. So the first thing was he went and he confronted the problem. And Ahab didn't argue. They had a contest. Many times, for us believers, the major problem in every area of the Christian faith, double-mindedness. That's the main problem. You want to, you don't want to. You want to pray, but you don't really want to pray. You want to read your Bible, but you don't. It's just a double-mindedness. That's what's the problem. Once you're single-minded, you go for it. If you want to do something, you do it. But if you are still being persuaded to do it, you're still double-minded, you go back and forth, never consistent, because your mind is not made up. And that's the way we deal with God. And that's the real problem in every area of the Christian faith. Double-mindedness is a sin. A serious sin for the Christian that, you know, blocks everything that's coming down from God as blessing. The children of Israel, the reason why they had those three years of no rain, double-mindedness. That was their problem. They knew better. There were some that were, you know, after Baal, fully. But most of them were double-minded. They knew about God. Maybe they were afraid, but they won't go all the way. They know to pay their tithe, but they're not too sure if God will bring back some money to them. It's double-mindedness. That's what the problem is. You are not fully persuaded. Paul said, I am fully persuaded. That's the issue here. If you read... In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, it says, Elijah came to all the people. He said to them, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Make up your mind. Don't be double-minded. 
You know, James tells us in James chapter 1, a double-minded person is unstable in all his way. God cannot do business with you if you're double-minded. If you want to go, go for it. If you are fully persuaded, I'm using tithe right now because that's where he's at. That's where it really hurts. You see, money is so important. Amen. I'll say that for myself. Money is very important, you know. There is nothing God allows to be compared to himself. God says, I am God alone. But then Jesus said, you can't serve God and you can't. So God himself elevated, knowing the nature of man, he elevated mammon to the level of God. Because you can serve either of them. So that's why I go the world with tithe. If you are not fully persuaded about this God that you say you believe and want to be a part of Him, you won't do it. If you do it, it's inconsistent. When you feel like it, when you, you do it. And then when you don't feel like it, you won't do it. You can't get God's blessings that way. He, God knows not to deal, deal with you. And it's really a sin to be double-minded. It affects every area of your Christian faith. It affects your prayer life because you're double-minded. You really don't know. When the pressure comes, you pray. When the pressure is gone, you stop praying. You're double-minded. And that blocks off all the blessings from God's people. So Elijah said to them, How long? You've been double-minded all this time. How long would you stand between two opinions? If it's God, go all the way. Don't hold back. Too many Christians hold back. They make excuses why they should. It's okay for them to hold back. And guess what? He sees it. And he notices those and raises up a memorial for those that will not hold back regardless. Because he knows their heart. David never held back. Was he perfect? No. He never held back anything from God. And so God is a man after my own heart. That's the whole problem. He's holding back. Being double-minded. Holding back is because you're double-minded. You are not fully persuaded. When you are fully persuaded, you do whatever. We can talk about witnessing (laughs) until the pastor is blue in the face. But they won't do it until they think you're fully persuaded about it. That's just the way it is. What's going to move you from your bed that morning? God... And witnessing, forget that stuff. (laughs) I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven because you don't know how important it is. You understand? You don't know. That's why we're going to Calvary this uh, Saturday. People make their choices. I've come to, I told somebody, you know, I really enjoy being a pastor. I don't have to make anybody do anything. I speak the word of God and let God deal with them. If few of them come, I'm happy. At least a few of them. No big deal. I have nothing to prove. I'm not going to be shouting and jumping the whole place ready to go. I have to be faithful to him. That's all I know. When I get there, he's like, how many people did you persuade to go to, with you to Covenant? Uh, you couldn't persuade them, so your reward is going to be little? No. I was faithful. Amen? That's all that's important. You can only be faithful if you are fully persuaded. If you are not fully persuaded, no way. You are going back and forth. 
That's why the Bible says a, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. God cannot do business. I mean, he says, let not that man think he'll ever receive anything from God. He knows who you are. He knows what's going on in your heart. It's not, the, it's not you that's the problem. It's your double-minded heart that's the problem. And God sees it. He says, I'm not gonna, I can't work with that. So if you read in, in, in James... Chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. So cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Your your heart needs purification when you're double-minded. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall what? Seeing God. When you're double-minded, your heart is not pure. You can't see God. He can do business with you. That's just the truth. Amen. That's just the truth. You walk on yourself. Between you and your God. Keep me, God. So he knows where your heart is. And if you need God to pour down his rain on you. You got to get rid of being double-minded. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir tonight. But people need to understand that. God watches everything. He doesn't watch just your action. His son paid for your, your sins. But your heart. My son, where is your heart? My daughter, is your heart. Where is your heart? Does he have your heart fully or just part? When it's convenient, he knows. But if you need rain in your life, you got to go all the way. You can't be inconsistent with God. He sees it. He sees what's going on. You can't fool him. You can fool pastor, but you can't fool him. He knows what's going on there. He knows when you are not in church because there is a real problem. And he knows when you're just making an excuse. Even if you deceive yourself. Because the Bible says you can be deceived. You can de- don't deceive. God is not mocked. That's what it says. Don't be deceived. In other words, don't deceive yourself. You can't play God. He knows what's going on. He knows why you're doing what you're doing. Maybe it's out of fear. But if it's out of fear, it's because you are not fully persuaded that God can take care of you. So you act silly. That's what it is. No man can serve two masters. You either love one, and be devoted to one and despise the other. There's no middle ground. He sees all of it. So Elijah is telling the children of Israel, for three years you have been double-minded. How long have you been in your trouble? Maybe the problem has been you've been double-minded. They were worshipping idols, but the problem is not the worship of idols. The reason they were doing that is because of what? They were double-minded. They were not fully persuaded. Now, once you are fully persuaded, yeah, I'm double-minded. What do I do next? How do I get back where God wants me to be? Build and restore the foundation. Okay? That's what happened with Elijah. He says in 1 Kings 18 verse 30 through 32, it says, then Elijah said to all the people, and I'm not going to all the story about the prophets of Baal and all of that. I'm just drawing out principles here. Okay? The prophets of Baal did what they had to do, and then that was gone. 
But then he says, it was time for the evening sacrifice. And Elijah then called the people, come here. Let me show you. And then he asked them the question, why are you double-minded? He drew them to himself and he says, he said to them, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken. What altar of the Lord in your life is broken? Is it your prayer life? Is it the way you treat your mate? Is it church attenders? Is it what you're doing at work? What altar is broken? That's what they did. The first thing to do is repair the Lay the foundation. Lay the foundation again. Restore the foundation. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Who, got the, who broke those altar down? The people did. They didn't care anymore. They let it be there. Probably not. They just abandoned it. They were not going there anymore, so the altar just went down, right? That's what you do when you abandon things of God. The altar gets broken. And God will not answer your prayer until the altar, the foundation is there. Let me read the scripture before we go back to this again. Turn with me. Um, turn with me to uh, Psalm 11, verse 3. It says, If the foundation are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You're righteous, but you got no foundation. Your righteousness is not based on what you do. Your righteousness is based on what Jesus has already done. But if the foundation is not there, there's nothing that can, you can do. So the foundation goes back to the altar. You must build back the altar, restore the altar of God. And so he says, Elijah took 12 stones, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, all broken down, according to the number of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. And he repaired the altar. And so you got to lay the foundation. Maybe the altar, like I said, maybe it's your prayer life. It could be maybe your giving. After you fix the altar, that's repentance. helps you to fix the altar. And then you're ready to do business with God. Because you repented, you're telling God, now that's what was happening. Elijah was helping the people to build back their foundation for God. And we're not going that way anymore. The prophets of Baal, Baal, they didn't do anything good. Now let's wait for God, see what God would do for us. The people were tired. I mean, for three years, no rain. Maybe there's hope in this. Maybe Elijah can, Elijah can help us with this. Maybe let's sit here. And they were all very attentive. They drew near, wondering what was going to happen. Now, you read the story. You know what happened. But in their time, they were living it. So they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But I knew they were tired of the drought. They were really tired. They needed something. And so they came to the prophet. Please, uh, do something. And they were very attentive to what was going on. After you've built the altar, you need to make a sacrifice. 
you need to make a sacrifice. And I'm going to, this, this part is very, very important. A lot of Christians miss this part. You need to make the right sacrifice. Not just a sacrifice, the right sacrifice. And there is a right sacrifice. Sometimes people sacrifice and they get no result. Because the sacrifice wasn't accepted. Amen? The sacrifice has to be accepted, but it's got to be the right sacrifice before God. And God will respond immediately. He will respond. It tells us in First uh, Kings chapter 18, verse 33 through 35. It says, And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, pour it on the bone sacrifice on the wood, then he said, do it a second time. And he did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And he did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. Three times. You got water, I believe this is me. One for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Spirit. The altar is built. You understand what I'm saying? The altar is built. Now, honor the Father, honor the Son, and honor the Spirit of God. The animal is the sacrifice, the dead. We are the sacrifice. The Bible tells us Romans chapter 12 verse 1. I beseech you by the mercies of God to present yourself what? As a living sacrifice. So you present yourself as a living sacrifice. But what do you give? You give after you've presented yourself. The next part of the sacrifice that go, must go with your sacrifice of presenting yourself to God, you give what you are in need of the most. They needed water. Right? That's the right sacrifice. They needed water. You can imagine for three years, no water. And yeah, you're pouring water, and I'm sure some people thinking, my goodness, we need water, and he's just pouring that water away on the altar. Why is he doing this? We got one load of water, another load of water. Wow, that's a waste. We need water. You give to God what you need the most. That's the real sacrifice. That's the right sacrifice. If you need financial blessings... And you just want to do something else? You only reap what you sow. You cannot plant corn and expect to reap apples. It's not going to work. Amen? They needed water. That's what they did. They poured water on the altar. They needed rain. So they poured rain and look, they wanted overflowing amount of water. So the altar was filled with water and it ran all over. Why don't you do the same? That's the principle there. 
You give what you are in need of. You hold back. I believe it's maybe Proverbs 11 verse 24. It says, there is one who holds back more than his meat. He tends to poverty. And then there is one who just spreads it out and he becomes rich. If it's money that you, re- you need, give what you have away. Pour it on the altar of God. And then wait for it to come back. If it's relationship that you need, do what you can. Sow the seed. It may be difficult. And if they don't respond properly, guess what? God will open another door for you. If the people you are trying to reach, they don't respond, you've done all your best, you've tried everything, God's saying, that's good. I just don't think that's good enough for you. I got something better for you on this side. That's why they're not responding properly. That's the truth. I've had that happen to me. In a big way, I've said this before. When I was in Georgia, I I used to pick up little children. That was my ministry. I didn't know how to talk to adults. You guys kept me in those days. I wouldn't talk to you guys. I enjoyed preaching to kids. That was my ministry. I picked them up from the neighborhood and I put them under a tree where we can have a little shade. And then I play my little guitar and then preach to them. And then buy them donuts so they will come back the next time. That was my ministry. But one day I took, I start, Pastor gave me, Pastor Addison, you met him. He gave me the key to the church. So I used the fellowship hall and I was having fun. And then one of the kids acted bad and I tried to discipline him. And the mother cussed me out and said she was sending me back to my country where I came from. <laughs> and that stopped totally. I was very sad. And then I met a woman in um, a laundry laundromat and started talking to her and she wanted to come to church and her children wanted to come to church and before long i had so many kids my car could not take them one side short and then the other side of town in athens georgia that's where i was gathering kids to bring to church and i wasn't buying them donuts anymore and they were getting saved and they'll run out from their classroom, uh, what do you call it, Royal Rangers, and say, guess what, Mr. Goodluck? Uh, uh, guess what? I said, what? And they said, I got saved there. Wonderful. I didn't have any success with the other kids, you know, much. The way I thought, they won't, I got to get them donors to bribe them to listen to me. But these kids were getting saved. At the first, I was really worried. I said, because I got them from the project, I thought, man, they're going to cause so much trouble, and I'm going to be in trouble in church, and maybe they'll talk to pastor, and pastor will tell, stop bringing these kids to church. They're causing those problems. And so one, one Wednesday night after service, one Dennis Chapman, she came, he came to me and said, where did you get these kids from? Where did you get these kids from? I said, oh, my God, it's happened now. He's going to tell me not to bring them because he was the head Royal Ranger person. And I said, why are you asking? But I was ready to fight. <laughs> I said, why are you asking? He said, no, no, not a problem. These kids are even better than our own kids. <laughs> I said, glory to God. I watched these kids baptize, got baptized in the church. Their parents came when they got baptized. I got good results. You sow what you want. Do you understand what I'm saying? You plant what you want to reap. 
You make that sacrifice for God. And even though it may seem like you're losing, God's going to bring these things back to you and more than you can even imagine. That's the truth about it. Give what you need the most. Give what you need the most. If you need comfort, try comforting other people. And you immediately realize there is need. And then you lock into it and your healing comes. And that becomes your ministry. Because you can recognize them. You are no longer part of it. So you build the altar. Put the sacrifice there. Give what you need the most. You want your children saved. Try getting to other kids. Try to get them saved. They might get your kids, bring them to church, and your kids get saved. That's the way God is. He's, he's an amazing God. So do make that sacrifice. And then the last thing tonight, make sure you pray. Make sure you pray. Spend some time praying. I'm amazed. You know, God will give you a promise. And just don't assume that because a prophecy came to you personally, or maybe God gave you a promise from the Word of God, or somebody spoke a promise, or in my own case, He speaks to you. And you think, well, God spoke this to me, and some other person said the same thing, so I know it's God. So it's got to happen. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You have to pray. You do everything, and then you need to pray as well. Notice in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 18, God was the one that called Elijah and said, Go and show yourself to the king. I am going to send rain. I mean, Eli- Elijah knew the, word, the, the voice of the Lord. He was the one that pronounced the drought, right? So he knew the voice of God. Now he would have assumed God wants to send rain. I just present myself and then comes rain. No, he had to pray. Even after he had seen fire come down from heaven and consume the sacrifice. You think the sky will immediately get black. But Elijah was a man who knew God. That nothing goes without prayer. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Don't seek God will not override this word just to please you. Because you are lazy no, okay, to, to seek or to ask. You have to do it. He won't go past his word. He told you, ask. I'm telling you, ask. He says, up till now, you have not asked anything in my name. He said, ask so that you may receive and that your joy may be full. If you don't ask, you won't receive. God will not go against His word. Even though the promise is there, and you've made all the sacrifice, you need to ask, and after asking, Jesus says, believe that as you ask, you've received, because He told you, ask, and you shall receive. He told you that. So all you need to do is ask, and then rejoice that you received. I like that scripture that's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. And it says, for everyone that asks, receives. Everyone. Everyone. So after the, the sacrifice, after the water was poured and the, God licked the water, you can imagine 
the, the, the fire licked the water, even the stones. God was so pleased with what was going on. But Elijah went and started praying. And if you read the scripture, let's just read it. It's First Kings chapter 18, verse 42 through 44. I'll begin from verse 41, please, if you don't mind. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to, to the top of Camel, that's the mountain, and bowed down on the, on the ground and put his face between his knees. He was praying and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. That's a lot of faith. He was praying and said, go check it out. And he continued to do that. He says, so he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. So he did this seven times. Keep going, back and forth. Just believe in God. In other words, don't quit. If you've already asked, something is going to happen. I I know that there is a, a, a movement People say, you know, you've asked once, you shouldn't ask again. But for my life, I know that sometimes I ask and I don't feel like I've had the title deed. I don't feel confident. You understand what I'm saying? I don't feel confident. And Jesus himself, when he was praying to his father, how many times? Let this cup pass by me. He went back again saying exactly the same thing. But what you need to do is you pray until something in you let you know, and God has a way of letting you know, you've been heard. And once that happens, you feel silly asking for the same thing, if you're really operating in faith. I just don't feel like asking for the same thing. I know I'm heard. I just have to wait. I hate to be reminded about it. In other words, God gives you the peace that passes knowledge. He said, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God will guide you. In other words, you're just resting. You know you've been heard. But pray until you got that. Amen? And you're free. And then start making your confession. Check it out every day. Amen? If you're praying for money and you think it might come from the mailbox, check your mailbox excitedly every day. Amen? Run back and look. And check it. And if there's a strange envelope, they tear it up real fast. Okay? Because there might be a check in there. That's exercising your faith. So go check. Make sure you're looking for it. Expect the bank to tell you you have more money than you have it, that you thought you got in the bank. And we made a mistake sometime and we refunded the money. Get that letter from the bank as it comes. Can God do this? this? Yes. Well, he told Peter to go get a fish. And paid all their taxes. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We serve such an awesome God. There is no problem that you have tonight that he cannot resolve. There's nothing that's bigger. And if you think he cannot, you insulted him. You just insulted him. He can deal with any problem. Just be still. And wait and see what God will do. Let the problem be much bigger than 
you can handle so that the people can see it's the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our sight. That's the God we serve. It gives me confidence. You know, I deal with the problems. Let me just tell you this. Initially, when we started building, I was thinking, boy, $10,000 a month to pay for that stuff. I, it's, it's not a big deal for me anymore. I just tell I know the money will be there. I have no doubt about it. It's going to come just so easy. I don't have any. It's gone. I prayed it and I'm free. I know the money will be there. I just don't have any concern about that. Whether they give, they don't give, I'll have that money in my hand. I'm telling you. So it's not telling you, give, give, give. That's okay because you got, we're giving you opportunities to do it. But I'm not looking to you. I'm looking to him right now. And I know he will never fail us. I am very convinced of that. And I'm not looking at any individual. I'll get the money every month and more because of this faithfulness. He is so faithful. And he loves us so much. I wish God would open our eyes so we can see how much he cares for us. And when we don't realize that, we block him off. And we are striving. He says, rest. Enter into my rest. Not your rest. Enter into his rest. Because he's willing to give us rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Make the kingdom principles, the kingdom first. That's his yoke. And you'll find rest to your soul. The soul, your mind, your will, all of that. He'll give you so much peace and prosperity. So you know to make the right decisions. Because he's there. For you, we are his children, every one of us. Here you are before him tonight. He's pleased with you. You didn't come to here, Pastor. You came to be with him. There is a blessing that goes with that. You may not see it, but there is a blessing that goes with that. And he wants the best for your life. You have to believe this. Because not believing it will do you a lot of disservice. In life. He may not come overnight, but he's coming. That's why he says to, be, to rejoice and be glad. Amen? Stand up with me tonight. And let's thank God that we have a God. And if something is broken tonight, you can rebuild your altar before God. And it's a simple. I like what Kenneth Hagin said. He said God, he was suffering financially. And uh, he had taken this church that was smaller than the previous church. And, and uh, he was ma- doing so well in the previous church. And so he got to this church trusting God. But initially he really had a struggle. He didn't want to go. But he knew not obeying God was not a good thing to do. So he went. And so things were going really bad. And he started crying out to God. He said, God, I told you. I told you before, come in here. I've worked hard. I've done everything. And you're not blessing me. I obey you, he said. God said very quickly, yes, you obeyed me, but you were not willing. Simple. And he said, what? He says, you obeyed me, but you were not willing. And Kenneth says, I just adjusted myself inside. 
And then he, he just read there. He said to God, okay, God, I'm sorry. I'm willing now. <laughs> now bless me. And God blessed him. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be long. You can do it where you are right now. You can build the altar again and begin to see God's goodness upon your life. You can adjust in the inside of you. And everything is taken care of. Amen. Let's lift our hands up to the Lord tonight. And you tell Him what you need. Rebuild the altar. Put the stones in the right place. Tell God you are willing to make the right sacrifice. So that you can get what you need. That thing that hurts you the most. Put it on the altar this night. The thing that gives you so much concern. Every time you think about this thing, it's a pain in your heart. And you don't know what to do. Lay it on the altar. Rebuild the altar. Make some commitment to God tonight. And tell him, God, I want to be blessed of you. I need rain. And it's beginning to rain in Jesus' name. Let the rain come upon your life tonight as you speak to your God, as you speak to the Lord God, the God of the universe, as you speak to Him. Let His rain come upon you and overtake you, knock you over, and bless your life greatly. Yes, God is true to His Word. He has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten what you're going through. His heart is with you. He is going to deliver you in the name of Jesus. He's going to set you up and make you the showcase of His goodness to the world so that all can see. That's your inheritance. That's your portion tonight in Jesus' name. That's your portion tonight in Jesus' name. And everything that is contrary to that must leave your life right now as you make your commitment to God. They have no choice but to leave. And I say it in the name of Jesus. That God, goodness, and mercy will follow you from this very hour for the rest of your life. In Jesus' name. God is with you. And if God be for you, no one can be against you. No circumstance can be against your life. You are favored of God, and that's it. Amen. You're favored of God. Nothing can change that. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. We serve a risen Christ. And you do care for your children. You said if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? The Heavenly Father, we receive tonight from you, Father. By faith, we receive all your goodness. And we give you praise for your love for us. Thank you for giving your life away so that we can have life and have it more abundantly with all the goodness of God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. God bless you.